And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Monday, December 18th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the Working in Baseball series that went up last week in place of the usual pods. It was a great opportunity for us to not only share those conversations, but to let some more of the offseason happen. Things worked out perfectly. We have an amazing rundown for today. Stuff. Stuff to talk about. If we'd, Real stuff. If we'd really tried to stretch out like two or three podcasts last week, we would have been like, one thing happened today. Let's talk <laughs> about it for 45 minutes. <laughs> Thankfully, transactions have occurred, and these are sort of, the rundown is built more in order of how interesting these things are in the broader sense, not chronological, never is, right? I think the most interesting that happened in the last week is Tyler Glass now getting traded to the Dodgers and signing an extension, so four more years beyond this one for Glass now. The trade was Tyler Glass now plus Manuel Margot going to the Dodgers for Ryan Pepio and Johnny DeLuca. And it felt a little light, but the the thing about it is, well, I think it felt light on the Rays side. I don't think they got mm. enough back, but maybe maybe it's because I always have that that look of wonder in my eyes when I watch Tyler Glass now. I'm just in <laughs> awe of what could be, and because I'm such a notorious optimist, I just felt like they could have found a better offer. For glass now it was only one year of course at 25 million so yeah i, I think that's it. the key and it, the 25 million means that he's not super underpaid it's kind of you know one year at cost you know in fact the extension was like four and 110 at new money that didn't seem that i thought that was light too yeah well i mean that has to do i think with the obvious thing which is you know what's the over under on the number of innings you think the the rays the the dodgers will get out of glass now in five years I mean, you might put the over under at 500. And so, you know, I think that's why you're paying, you know, you're paying for the starts you get out of him and you're paying for the upside, the the fact that you get an, you can get an ace, especially if you get an ace in October, you know, you get a guy that nasty who might even be your number two or number three, you know, once the dust settles on this offseason. I mean, that's what you're paying for. And the reason the Dodgers do it, you know, if for anybody who's sort of skeptical about how this shook down and skeptical about Glassnell's health and, you know, skeptical about all of this, the reason they can do this is because they can create another Ryan Pepio. At least that, that's how they feel, I think. And so if you can, you have a pipeline, you got Emmett Sheehan, you got, uh, you know, Bobby Miller, you got uh, Michael uh grove and you know you just got, you got guys coming out they got uh they got guys that i was uh, like i was like who's this uh kyle hurt and uh 
Oh man, there was some some other name that I was like, I don't think people talk about this guy, but he has like a twelve K nine in AAA. Like he's like ready to go, you know. And uh, and so I I think that um, if you are the Dodgers and you think that you can create another Ryan Pepio, then what you want is Glass now. Roll the dice on Glass now, and every time you can get him in there, uh, and then when he's not in there, you get your Pepio Part Two uh, to to fill in. So I, I think that. Uh, some of the transaction analysis math is off when you think you have a pipeline that good. Yeah, uh, who you're dealing with, club control, um, actual salaries, all of those things are, are legitimate factors. And I think the extension seeming light to me, again, as maybe Tyler Glasnow's biggest believer, I didn't know I was that person, <laughs> it's the workloads. It's the year-over-year workloads. Tyler Glass now Doesn't had a career high. Yeah. <laughs> career high innings last year <laughs> for, a, for a big league season anyway, with 120. He's never thrown more than that in the big leagues before. So but that's, that's where a lot of the concerns come from. He's right. done it. Some of the minor league you workloads are similar. you got to add some of those in. I mean, he's had yeah. 140s and 150s. Yeah, like 2016 split between AAA and the big leagues with Pittsburgh was 134. 2017 between AAA and the big leagues, 155 and a third. So I think when people say Tyler Glasnow never stays healthy, it's an overcorrection similar to the overcorrection of Blake Snell doesn't pitch deep enough in games. Yes, there is injury risk here, but I think it's over-exaggerated to a slight degree mm-hmm. with Tyler Glasnow. I think when you look at what he is on a per inning basis, when you consider that he might be replacing Clayton Kershaw's place in the rotation like Kershaw is a Dodger maybe no more right their depth enables them to take this kind of risk because if injuries are still a problem they have quality options that can fill in if injuries are less of a concern if he gets back to the 150 160 170 range for a few of these seasons he's probably a five war pitcher even without getting to 200 innings that's the kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and results that Tyler Glass now gets so I think that's a huge part of the calculation here Uh, I'm curious to see how everybody treats him in their drafts. I would have to imagine the ADP has ticked up a little bit already since the move to Los Angeles. We know Tampa Bay is a great place to pitch, but going to an even better team, I would imagine, drives up interest in glass now even further. Yeah, you'd think more wins, uh, maybe. Uh, the Rays win a lot of games, but there's also uh, lesser opponents for glass now, I would think. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of things to like about him as a player after this deal. I think there's one last uh, note that's kind of of interest here is you've got Shohei Otani in 2025, and let's say they signed uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto as well. Um, You know, I think there's a real possibility they go to a six-man rotation. Uh, I don't know if it's this year or next year or both, Uh, but say in 2025 you go to a six-man rotation – and, um, you know, you know uh, that pitching less uh, leads to fewer injuries. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just sort of easy math right there. But there's also math out there that shows that um, over the course of the season, um, every inning adds a, a, just a slight uptick in home run rate. So pitchers are better if they pitch less. So you could have a, a Dodgers team that says we are such a super team like we can actually come up with six really good pitchers and we're going to keep them all healthier and they're going to be better because we're going to rest them more. And we're going to kind of go to the more Japanese model where every pitcher kind of 
you know, pitches once a week, you know, and that won't be great for the fantasy players. They'll be annoyed by that. You never get like a two-start pitcher in LA if that's the case, but um, it, it could be an interesting way to sort of uh, keep those injuries down. Maybe that's, maybe that's what they're thinking is, you know, the Rays thinking is we're going to collect all these pitchers. And so if half of them are injured, we still got half a, half a good roster. <laughs> uh, what if the Dodgers are like, we're going to get all these, these pitchers and keep them healthy. Going to the Rays side of this for a minute, Ryan Pepio was someone I was pretty interested in in the brief time we saw him in the big leagues this year. I think it was an oblique injury that slowed him down throughout the first half. Didn't get a ton of time with the Dodgers. It was 42 innings at the big league level, 22 and change at AAA. The thing that had really changed with him, though, was control. The walk rate, both at AAA and during his time with the Dodgers, was a career best. 5.4% walk rate at AAA, 3.1% during that time with the Dodgers. Even if you want to cut that back to 7 or 8%, compared to the double-digit walk rates we saw from him throughout his time in the lower levels of the minors, that was a pretty big skills improvement for Pepio in a limited volume. So I'm wondering how much they see you know, similarities between Pepio and, and Zach Eflin, who they sought out last offseason, at least this version of Pepio, or if they see something that can be kind of Frankenstein together where these new skills with control paired with overall really good stuff could lead them to yet another undervalued arm. I mean, I was, I was intrigued before, but the fact that the Rays took him back as kind of the key player in this deal only bumps up that interest further. Yeah, I, I think that... Um... One thing that people are sort of like, oh, well, he had this, he made these adjustments and he made these changes and his command is better. And I, I don't know if I believe it. You know, I, I understand that he's made some changes and he's made some adjustments. But, you know, when it comes to stats, you know, a, a big change in walk rate like that or a big change in location plus, which he, he did go from a 91, which is reliever level in 2022 to 104 last year, which is absolutely doable as a starter like I, I just don't believe that jump you know like especially given that you had these command grades on him um all the way up that are not good you know like that was the that was the thing on him was a 40 to 45 command on fan graphs you know like below average command was you have these bad walk rates all the way through the minor leagues so i'm not ready to believe that the walk rates are better um what i will give him is a plus change up uh, maybe maybe even elite level change up. Um, I'll give him a an above average uh, breaking ball. I think this hard cutter that he's found is good enough. Um, and with 94 miles an hour, he has the velo. So I could see the Rays doing something where even if the command regresses a little bit, the slider percentage goes up. You know, and he starts to steal some strikes with that slider and that and the reason i kind of believe that is he showed you know better he showed okay command by location plus on the slider in both years that's the one that's been the same you know and so you've got like this larger sample now of being able to command the slider okay and and it makes sense it's a cutter you know it's a it's a it's a hard slider it's a kind of a low movement pitch so he's got this low movement pitch you say, all right, you know what? He's got all the building blocks to be a great starter, a like an elite change, a plus breaking ball, and 94 miles an hour. That's all the building blocks to be a starter. And if the if the command regresses, we're going to up the usage of the, of the cutter 
and steal some strikes that way. And he can be a little bit wild with the four seam. That's fine. If he can have the cutter when he needs it, you know, we'll, we'll find a way to get by, even if he walks 10% of the guys. So, I mean, for them also is just really attractive that we could have a, a good starter on, you know, a $700,000 salary. So that's a, that's a big part of it. There was a funny uh, piece by Michael Bauman on, on Fangrass today where he, it's titled, I know when the, uh, I know when the Rays are going to trade Ryan Pepio. <laughs> <laughs> and he was basically like in two and a half years, in three years, we're going to, they're going to trade Ryan Pepio. Cause they've done that on eight of the 10 starters that he had on his list. It was like everybody, but David Price and Alex Cobb and David Price is David Price and Alex Cobb got hurt right in the window when they would have traded him. So, And that's actually Glasnow kind of got hurt in that same window too. So, you know, yeah. they're going to keep him for three years. I bet you they get two good years out of him. You know, predicting which of those years will be the best years um, may be a little bit difficult. Like, are, are you all in on him, like, in, in drafts? Like, is there is there a would you rather? Or, like, do we have, do we have some early ADPs? I mean... None of them, none of them. So would factor in the fact that now he probably has a rotation spot, right? Right. So I just looked at ADPs from the past week, like mm-hmm. six drafts. The range is one eighty one to two hundred two. Average pick is like one ninety three. Okay, I don't think he's going to go up a whole lot from there. The would you rather actually within the same rotation is Pepio versus Aaron Savali. They're like eight picks apart. I'm taking Savali. See, I think I'm taking Pepio. You just want the upside. The stuff is is the ceiling is higher for me stuff wise. Like the way yeah. the way you out ninety four with the fastball, uh-huh. excellent changeup, potential plus breaking ball if that slider comes together. That that's more than what Savali brings to the table. Savali's like a spin it guy where he's got like three or four breaking balls, you know, a poor fastball, you know, he's yeah, yeah he's he's a spin guy. I um, mean, if you want to go outside the Rays. You're gonna get a whole bunch of different guys that are in this range because this is this is the fun spot to I'm shop still for Savali, pitchers. So what is he? What I throw him else at me? You know the what other would you rather is Hunter Brown versus Ryan Pepio. I'm on Hunter Brown. Brown. Yeah, that, that, that one. <laughs> that one. That one's actually kind of easy. Bryce Miller versus Ryan Pepio. Bryce Miller. I've been getting really excited about the Mariners. Every every time we talk <laughs> about them, everything we look at. I want the other sentence you didn't say. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really tired. My kid was up for two hours last night in the middle of the night. Oh, boy. Yeah. Just up. He just wanted to have a party. 12, 15 to 2. So, Lovely. Uh, my brain's not working. Uh, Brian Wu also in that range. I'm taking Wu. Mason Miller. Oh, I'll take Pepe over Miller. <laughs> yeah, just the innings. I mean, Mason Miller, as we know, could be a closer instead of an actual starter. So you got that. How about Evaldi? Nathan Evaldi versus Ryan Pepio. Evaldi. I, I mean, I, I'll just be happy and take like, you know, the first four months and then, you know, have an itchy trigger, trigger finger when he's throwing 93. I think I might be Pepio over Evaldi, too. Oh, all right. Pepe over Braxton Garrett for me too. Get Braxton Garrett yeah. goes in this range. Garrett to me is there's too much Miles Michaelis where it's like you think you know what you got and you think it looks beautiful, but it's it's a low stuff, high command thing, and you know a little thing goes you know a little thing goes wrong and he's Miles Michaelis in the bad year. I feel like um, there's also some interesting names on the Rays depth chart uh, behind him. Where you've got Zach Littell, Shane Boz, and Taj Bradley, 
um, you know, all kind of competing for spots with Pepio. I'd say Eflin and Savali, that's another thing. I think Pepio has another option left. So you think there's there's a performance risk situation where you think he could actually end up back at AAA for a stretch this year if if he's well they struggling? did it with Taj Bradley I mean when you have options and you have to you have to win as many games as you can in that division I feel like Eflin and Savali are in uh, Zach Littell is probably out of options he has zero options so I feel like Littell is in even as I'm not very excited about him I'd be way more excited about Pepio I'm not saying pick Littell over Pepio what I'm just saying is Littell's in you know to start the season at least. And so then you have Pepio, Baz, Boz, and Bradley fighting for two spots, which Boz is coming off surgery. Maybe you slow walk him. Bradley kind of, you want him to find those secondaries. I'm a little worried. We've got a Taiwan Walker situation with Taj Bradley um, where the fastball is the best pitch and he's like struggling to find the secondary pitches that fit it. Um, but um, I'd be more excited about Shane Boz and Taj Bradley if I knew they were in, I think than Pepio. So, but I, but I, I think that's a pretty fun group. Pepio, uh, Boz, and Bradley is going to produce at least one kind of almost like league winner type pitcher. Not he's not going to win your league by himself, but the, one of those pitchers is going to be amazing. I think picking which one is going to be. <laughs> yeah, Boz goes a little earlier than the others. He's going around pick one seventy two. So it's the same I mean, he range, but all of last year. It's just hard to project the innings, but in terms of his stuff when he's in there, it's pretty exciting. But that was a, a September of twenty two Tommy John, so he's getting this extra time to recover. Walker Bueller, it's the second Tommy John for Walkie, B- Walker Bueller. I look at the difference in price between Bueller and Boz. I know Bueller was really good for a long time before this second Tommy John. I think Shane Boz makes a lot of sense value-wise, whereas Bueller is still taking on quite a bit of risk given that you're spending a top 100 pick to get him. Maybe by the time we get to the end of spring training, everything will look normal with Bueller and it's full steam ahead then. But I think right now, given that we didn't see either one of these guys pitch in 23, I'd rather go later if I'm going to take a chance on someone with that risk profile. Yeah, I don't know. So the pitchers who have had Tommy John surgery twice, we've got Eovaldi, uh, Jameson Tyon, Daniel Hudson, Joaquin Soria, Chris Capuano. Those are the success stories. Uh, the five who struggled, Josh Johnson uh, was pretty much done afterwards. Uh, Chris Medlin, I don't know if... The Chris Medlin, that's not quite the Walker Bueller situation. You know what I mean? Like Chris Medlin seemed like he was kind of always hurt, right? He had shoulder stuff, I think, on top of the elbow stuff, if I remember yeah. correctly, too. Jarrett Parker. Uh, you know, Chris Medlin only had four years in between. Jarrett Parker had five years in between. Brandon Beachy had two years in between. I mean, that's the one where you're just like, that doesn't seem like it has much to do with Walker Bueller at all. Um, Brian Wilson had nine years in between. I also so here here's the not other. a great list to be on. I mean, honestly, the your best case scenario is Nathan Eovaldi. No, and, and maybe I'm being too optimistic about injuries, even thinking or saying it. But also rehabbing all the way back in 2024 compared to 10, mm. 15 years ago, things are different now, right? We, we've hopefully it seems like the the medical community has advanced, the recovery has improved a bit. 
our biomechanical tracking has advanced. So like maybe we know some better stuff about how to keep pitchers healthy. I mean, theoretically at least. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think there's a better chance that Bueller for at least a little while pitches the way he did before he was hurt. than some of those, other, some of those guys didn't have a chance because it happened so long ago that it was more of a, a roll of the dice than it is now. There's a little, little more to the whole recovery process. Now, I think the other part of this trade, we'll move on momentarily, that's kind of interesting is Johnny DeLuca because he was really going to struggle to find a lot of time with the Dodgers, but the Rays, I think, can afford to find a at least a big side platoon role for him. Is that possible now that they've cleared Margot? I mean, I, I think there are a lot of rumors about Randy Rosarena potentially being on the move, but I wouldn't think they move unless they get something they really like. Luke Rayleigh kind of fits into a floating DH mix right now. So if it's a Rosarena, low, Syrian center, and Rayleigh, a DeLuca's a righty, so he'd be a small side platoon. I don't know why I thought DeLuca was a lefty, but is it a too small of a role? I got a name for you. He has a lot in common with Isak Paredes. All right. I, He's I like that. He's got a low strikeout rate uh, and a really high pulled fly ball rate. So... You know, even though he's 5'11", uh, 196 listed on Fangraphs, I feel like uh, you're talking about a guy who's going to make the most out of his power and could be like a 20, 25 home run hitting guy, uh, you know, that makes a lot of contact. I think they're trying to, uh, you know, make more contact as a team. And, uh, uh, you know, yeah, what is his role in the short term? I wouldn't bet on anything than uh, just basically replacing Manny Margot. I think they basically made a trade where they're like, hey, can we have cheaper versions of the two guys we have? I think the thing for me that could be a little bit different <laughs> is DeLuca's power and speed might play up a little bit more than Margot's. So for our purposes, he might be more exciting. Margot could be the better real-life player in the long run, but mm -hmm. I think DeLuca could fill a similar role. It's interesting, and maybe the Rays aren't done, and that's going to be part of the story here as well. And I think you implied it before with that interest in Yamamoto the Dodgers could still add to that rotation and they're already in pretty good shape with the moves they've made they'd be in amazing shape if they went ahead and added one more to the equation looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 US-based live customer service from Discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get to Jung-Ho Lee. We talked about him a bit on the 3-0 show last week. Six years, $113 million. Let's focus more on the, the fantasy angle here. The, the production in the KBO is impressive but the power is definitely the main question like how how much hard contact is Jung-Ho Lee going to make 
against major league pitching, right? He did well against KBO fastballs, as we talked about last week. There's a pretty big gap velocity-wise, probably about four to five miles per per hour on average compared to major league fastballs. So if you were trying to guess the scouting report against Jung-Ho Lee, I'm going to guess you're going to see a lot of fastballs early on. Mm-hmm. High and inside fastballs to see if he can catch up to MLB velocity. If he handles that, the game plan will change. This is a pretty big commitment from the Giants, so they must see some things they really like as far as what he brings to the table. And even if he doesn't hit for a lot of power, how well do you think the hit tool and the OBP skills are going to translate in his first season in San Francisco? I mean, with a swinging strike rate of 3% in Korea, like, you know, you if you look at Haseon Kim's K rates, they actually ported over pretty well. You know, he was... Uh, uh, Haseon Kim played in the same parks against the same competition at roughly the same time uh, because they were, uh, I think they were teammates, um, you know, at some point. And uh, Haseon Kim, yes, I mean, in 2020, he had a 11% strikeout rate over there. And he came over, he had, he's had more of a, he's at a 19.6. But if you look over the course of Haseon Kim's uh, history in KBO, he had higher strikeout rates, as high as 19.8% his rookie year. He kind of settled in around 13%. So you have this 13 to 9, 19% conversion for Asyong Kim. Um, you know, what you've got for Jung Hu Lee is like fives and sixes. So, you know, in terms of strikeout rate. So I think uh, we could see a 10% strikeout rate uh, from him. Uh, I do think there's going to be uh, an adjustment period. I'm also worried that like he pulls the ball. I think that's good. And in fact, that like he's able to keep this high of a contact rate while getting the ball out in front. So maybe he'll have to adjust where he's fighting off major league fastballs at first, right? And and hitting them the other way. Uh, but he's like, if you've got that intensive a bat to ball skill, I feel like you're still going to make contact, right? It's just going to be, are you going to make a contact out in front and hit it for power? Or are you just going to kind of spray the ball? So I would assume that he's going to kind of spray the ball. And I'm going to give him something like a 280 to 290 batting average with like 10 to 12 homers and five to 10 stolen bases. And that's, that's the sort of player I can see. And it may not, it may not, he may not hit the ground running with those numbers either, but um, with enough, with enough balls in play, I feel like, you know, the lottery tickets will, will keep him above 250, 260. Plus he has a pretty good eye too. And that line you described is almost exactly what steamer has projected yeah, I'm, I'm just a little bit lower on the power, I think. A little lower on the power, which is fine. It's an above average player. It's like 15% better than league average by WRC+. If he ends up being a, even an average defender in center field, the Giants are probably happy with that. That's a three to there's, four win player. There's also the possibility of more. The other part of this that I think is kind of interesting is like, if you're Jung-Hoo Lee, like you know there's a velo difference between the KBO yeah, you and Major spend League the Baseball. Winter, you know. you're, yes, like you're you're trading on high velocity machines every day in the winter until the season starts. I know it's not exactly the same, but it's hey, the technology is getting better. You and I saw a pitching yeah, machine when we were right. in Nashville, and uh, it was it was throwing Justin Verlander's arsenal when we were standing behind. It was it. enough and to to make my innards shrink. Yeah, yeah, I was I was uncomfortable. I was worried about the the net in front of me. I was like, yeah, I was like, is this gonna come through the net? Like, it was pretty intense. Just sitting there, you're like, dang, Justin Verlander's good. (laughs) People hit this, yeah. So I I think there's there's like that aspect where like he he knows the Giants know everybody knows who's involved here. 
he'll get a chance to work on that long before he's in the box in San Francisco. Lozny, L-O-S-N-Y, Lozny Sports USA, big data pitching machine. In case you're looking for a pitching machine that it could possibly be uh, cheaper than Traject, I don't know. But it's very much like Traject. They were right next to each other, competing with each other. Uh, and uh, they were both both impressive. Eugene, right? That's right. So him to show us his big machine. Yeah, it was it was awesome. And they, they had an app where you could like, adjust all the settings and set it up to basically face any pitcher that you wanted. Really, really cool stuff. Had like this uh, kind of screen that made it uh, render a pitcher's mechanics as the ball was being thrown from the machine too. Very, very cool stuff. Lee's fantasy value. Definitely a, like a filler type guy for me. Kind of gets drafted like a fourth or fifth outfielder in the NFBC right now. The earliest pick in the last week, 226 overall, so still relatively affordable. I've seen some tweets from around the industry suggesting that the outfield gets really thin later on, in part because teams mix and match and share roles a lot, so you're just not getting enough playing time. And if that format in particular is is weekly, so you really want people who are going to play every day. Um, so there will be a difference. Like in your 12 team, he could be like a last pick, honestly. Like, like, like is he in a 12 team? I'm like, I don't know. Like, yeah, if you want to put him on your bench, you know, like if you want to have like one bench pick, that you know and if it's in daily leagues you're like here's a guy i can stick in for some hits you know that could be okay uh but the reason that he's a little bit more uh interesting in weekly leagues is i do think that the giants despite all their mixing and matching in the past have been really missing like an everyday player that can play center field and that's why they they pushed this number higher than anybody had everybody had it sort of 60 70 80 million they went to 120 that they have to pay after the posting fee so I think honestly, he's like, if the, the, there's a lot hanging on this, you have to think about their, their GM, you know, just got a one year extension and pretty much is hanging on by a thread, you know, and he just spent $112 million on this guy. I think that they're going to put him out there and they're going to play him every day. I mean, he's 25 yeah. and they need a center fielder. I think that's where he can make up some ground. I think Jungle Lee can be better in weekly formats than people expect relative to projection because the volume and the playing time will be there consistently. I think it's interesting too. Fangraphs has a 60 on his speed and he hasn't stolen a ton of bases in the KBO, but he's been pretty efficient. When he's Most coming years. off of ankle surgery and there's yeah. other people who think he's actually not that fast. So also with the, the new major league rules. is Godson, grandson of the wind. <laughs> and there was questions about who was faster, him or his dad. So it would just be really funny if a guy that was stealing 10 to 12 bags most years in the KBO comes over with the new major league rules that were put in last year. Steals 25 or 30 yeah. or something. It's like, wow, I guess it really is a lot easier to steal bases here with these uh, <laughs> these new rules. But I, I do think as a depth outfielder, deeper leagues especially, I'm interested in Lee, even though San Francisco is a difficult place to hit. I don't think his game was power anyway. So if you've got a good power base, he fits really well. Cheap average is hard to find. Here's a signing that happened almost two weeks ago. We were listening to Sweet Meg when this one broke. Eduardo Rodriguez gets a four-year deal with the Diamondbacks. And at first, there was a moment where it looked like he was going to Cincinnati. And you and I, amidst the, the music, were like, ooh, 
that's not a good place for Eduardo Rodriguez. Play a sad song for Eduardo because yeah. Great American Ballpark <laughs> is not going to be kind to him. And like two songs later, it was actually the Diamondbacks. And then we both thought, this is good. Play a happy song. Get everyone dancing again. Eduardo Rodriguez is going to a place where he could have a little bit of success again. The difference, though, between Comerica in Detroit and Chase Field, even though Chase Field's not the old Chase Field pre-Humidor where it was a big-time hitter's park, it's still a slight downgrade for him. But it's a team upgrade. So I wonder if the team upgrade ultimately offsets most of the park change for his home starts. (laughs) <laughs> I, he's just laboring not, he's not my guy you know trying to say nice things about him because he's obviously had a decent track record he's coming off a decent year but uh, you know people have to remember the 474 era in 2021 with boston the 471 in 2016 uh you know there were some some really boring seasons in between a 419 in 2017 so like you know for his career we have 1100 innings with a four era like i i can say all i want about his stuff and his command and this and that i feel like that's who he is he's just like a four era guy sometimes you know the bigger the sample the more era actually starts to be something you can use you know so what a 4.03 era a 4.12 sierra like that's who he is. He's a four ERA guy. He's fine. You know, I don't, I guess they can, they can depend on innings, um, you know, with him, but the knee was a big deal. Once the knee was, was, uh, that was why he was traded from Baltimore to Boston. It was the knee. Um, I believe so, you know, I don't know. Does the knee just, maybe the knee is fine now, but I feel like, you know, you have a guy who's kind of lower stuff, more command, and you have this old reoccurring knee condition. All it takes is for the knee to flare up, and then all of a sudden the command isn't quite there, and then it's just either he's hurt or he's inconsistent with results. So he's not my type of player. Um, he does have a lot of pitches, which is something I've said I liked in the past, uh, but it's not actually that many. If you talk about more than 10%, it's, it's four pitches, but two are fastballs. And the sinker is just really kind of a boring movement. So um, I don't know, man. He's he's okay. It's fine. You know, and, and for that price, actually, for the D-backs, that's $20 million for 80. That's like just buying a middle rotation guy. That's, you know, that's what you, you're not, you're not, it's not ace prices. I think the reason I'm okay with it, I even kind of like it for them. They basically graduated all of that young pitching. It's all kind of part of the, the big league roster already. And I think we have more questions and answers now about Ryan Nelson. <laughs> they graduated, but we don't know what the grades are yet. <laughs> yeah, like Brandon fought. We talked about it throughout the playoffs. The adjustment sort of started in August, made the move on the rubber, and things started to fall into place for him. I think we can reasonably buy that adjustment. I think if you're saying, who's better for 2024, Erod or Fott? I think I'd actually take Fott over Erod. And I don't, I don't think I dislike Erod. I think I'm a little more into him than you are, but the price is where it always is this guy has lived most of his career in the pick 175 to 200 range he goes in there every he goes back to his time in boston because there used to be more upside now it's probably more of the stability and i think given the way his career started some of the lost time of course was due to personal matters he had the myocarditis i think in, in 2020 so some pretty like odd unforeseen things it hasn't been his legs that have been a problem for him so he's been a little more durable that I would have expected based on how his career started. 
I think he kind of scratches the itch of what they really needed. They needed one more solid starter. You know, Tommy Henry was the only other lefty Still, they really had that could possibly start. So they they just had nothing Durable's in the organization relative. ready to contribute. His one season over 160. Yeah. And if you look at the last five years combined, where do you think Eduardo Rodriguez ranks in innings? And he's missed some time. Oh, my God, because he missed all of 2020. Mm-hmm. So look, where do you think he ranks... Among all pitchers. Not that well, but yes, he has a 203 in there. So I bet you he ranks like 15th or something. Let's get the numbers. Eduardo Rodriguez, number 42 okay, in innings yes. since 2019. So which I guess that's relatively durable. 604 and two-thirds innings. So that's, that's more innings than Brandon Woodruff. It's more innings than Blake Snell. But it's still only 120 innings per season. That's more innings than Jordan Montgomery. Wow. It's more innings than Verlander during that span. Uh, it's, it's, more than Evaldi. It's weirdly impressive. It's such <laughs> like we're, we're damning him with faint praise, but this is uh, it's praise at least. Hey, it's what pitching costs. So yeah, exactly. I, I think it's a, ultimately a pretty good signing for Arizona, even though I'm not, I'm not going to have him everywhere in fantasy, but he's not necessarily an avoid for me either. It could actually work out pretty good, at least in the early part of the deal. Here's a fascinating one. Jamer Candelario to the Reds? Like, of all the things, of all the things you could have projected uh, the Reds to do in the winter, out. I wouldn't have put even a depth infielder and it, on and their it, free agent wish list. he came in below all the projections. They got, a, they got a deal on him. What the heck happened here? Was it one of those things where they thought, we kind of like him, let's, let's just see. And then they're like, oh, hey, we got him. Do you think Candelario signed too early? I thought, from the outside looking in, the best market for him was going to be after Matt Chapman was off the board. Right. Because if you needed a third baseman, you would prefer Matt Chapman to Jamer Candelario 10 out of 10 times, right? We've talked about the Matt Chapman hard hit balls not pulling enough of his bad balls in 2023. Oh, I think I have an answer for you. What do you think happened? This is just a steamer projection. It's not, it's not gospel. There's other projections. People have different numbers. But his steamer projection is for one win. And what we have seen in the past from the market is, and this is becoming more and more true over time, is that war is nonlinear and that teams do not necessarily want to pay $8 million per win for guys that are, or $9 million per win for guys that are going to give you a win to two wins, right? So even if, let's say, he's a one and a half win player and by war, dollar sign, uh, you spit out $15 million a year, like, you know, I could see teams being like, yeah, but we still would be below average at third base. Like, why would I pay $15 a year to be below average at third base? Um, whereas the Reds, I think, uh, I think they almost bought pitching with this $15 million. Like, to maybe, maybe the idea is we pay Heimer 15. Is it Jamer or Heimer? Anyway, Candelario. It's Jamer, and I'm, idiot because I was sitting with uh, Eric Carabell and Tristan Cockroft the very first time we were at a Fall League game when Candelario was still a Fall League player. Whoa. And I thought it was Heimer. And they're like, uh -huh. no, it's Jamer. And I'm like, no, come on, guys. It's Heimer. I took a lot of Spanish. And they're <laughs> like, right. no. No, dude, it's Jamer. And it's like, when Eric and Tristan tell you it's Jamer, it's Jamer. And it is Jamer. That's crazy. But in Spanish, it would be. Anyway, that's fine. Uh, I've only taken four years of Duolingo. So. It's the J-E that's a little... You don't see a lot of J-E's in Spanish, actually. That, that's what got me. Okay. Um, yeah, because maybe Heimer would be J-A-I. Anyway. It would look more like Jaime. 
Anyway, yeah. our Spanish names podcast drops in 2024. <laughs> the idea here, I think, maybe is to make Jonathan India expendable, more expendable. Um, I, he already was expendable. Another reason not to s- trade India first, unless you think you're going to pay Candelario more in that scenario. Like what? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Why? Why bird in hand bush situation? Um, I guess. This is also bad for Ellie De La Cruz. Like that's short term because it just it crowds things up even more on the infield. Uh, if, if some people are saying Ellie to center, maybe okay. Spencer Steer is going to play in the outfield now for sure, right? Like yeah, that's definitely sure happening. Better, yeah. The other way to think about it is look at the Reds group of of young position players and think about that group similar to the Orioles in terms of depth and say they're going to go trade. Noel, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They bought pitching by making Noelvi Marte or Jonathan India more more expendable. Mm-hmm. Um, would you let's say let's say you get more for Noelvi Marte on the trade market than Jonathan India? Yeah. Which one would you trade? I mean, given that you like, given that you know you would get more, would you trade Noelvi Marte to get more? And so I'm saying you can trade Noelvi Marte for. Uh, a guy who has like three years of team control left and that you're very excited about, or you can trade Jonathan India for a guy who has like a year or two left and you're a little bit less excited about. I think I would trade Noel V. Marte in that scenario. Marte is just a really interesting cat that I can't get quite get a read on. He's hit a ball 115.6, which is amazing. And when you look at where numbers like this are most important, raw maximum exit velocity it's most important for the rookie to understand his power ceiling once it's almost like stuff plus where like after you have five years of sample you don't necessarily need to run to the max ev anymore you know what i mean like you kind of you know more about this guy um and so you know max ev is the stuff plus of hitters and he has a 115.6 but he's had some real up and down power numbers he's never had an iso over 200 since since rookie ball in 2019 and so it's like, is he just one of these guys who's always going to tease you and hit the ball really hard sometimes, but not really make the most of his power? Um, you know, it's just a, uh, and then like, what do you think his, his pure natural position is? Is he going to actually have defensive value or are people just faking defensive value early in his career and he's going to end up in the corner outfield or at first base or something like that? Yeah, the defense is really tough. Like I, I, I just haven't seen enough of them to make a strong call on that. The concerns, I guess, coming through the last like two seasons have been that for his age, especially his body's changing really fast, and they're the general concern was a loss of athleticism. But I don't know, man. How do you lose athleticism and steal twenty four bases between Double A and the big leagues? He's twenty four for thirty as a base stealer. So maybe he's getting bigger, but he's still he's still pretty twitchy. The Dominican Winter League, he popped his hamstring and was hurt. He's, injuries has been part of the story, too. And and maybe he's a guy that plays third for a little while, and by the time he's approaching free agency, he moves across the infield and plays first, which is harder for him to do in Cincinnati, depending on how things play out here in the next couple of seasons. Especially but, since Candelario's on the team now. <laughs> right. I just, I thought it was, it, and Candelario, like, landing in Cincinnati's great. If you're going to get a full playing time share in Cincinnati, and you have a guy that's got pretty good plate skills and like kind of 20-ish home run power, that plays up in a big way in Cincinnati. He could pop 30 home runs in a full season for the Reds. That's well within range. So it's like, on the one hand, this is great for Jamer Candelario's value. On the other hand, 
the fallout of it is really hard to figure out at this moment because it feels like part of a series of moves. But if if the exciting player in, in Marte gets me back a potential like future frontline starter, or even someone who's close to that already, I think you have to entertain that move and, and do that because the Reds, as much as we love Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo, there's a lot riding on both of those guys staying healthy. And even if they stayed healthy, there's still probably at least one more quality pitcher short of being a legitimate, dangerous playoff team. Oh man, this team would be so much better, I think, with a like a, a real solid veteran, you know, one or two. Yeah, I was just thinking about um, how much I like Luis Castillo in Cincinnati. <laughs> just how, as a power pitcher that gets a ton of ground balls, like he he fits. Like that's the guy. Like that. I, I and they they had the chance. They had the chance. They could have extended him or tried to extend him. They traded yeah. him. They got a lot back. They did really well in that trade, and that's part of why they moved this rebuild along really quickly. Was making that move, but now, like, how do you get that back? How do you find that in another package? That's the challenge, I think, if you're in that front office right now. Yeah, I mean, to some extent, they have a, a Spencer Strider-esque guy in Hunter Green, and that park tells you how much how difficult it is to, you know, even be Spencer Strider in Cincinnati, you know what I mean? Um, there's a lot of similarities there, and Green gave up a lot of homers. It's just a really tough park. So, you know, I think ideally, like, what if they sign, like, a Jordan Montgomery? It's not my favorite type of pitcher, but it is just, like, this veteran who's pitched in tough ballparks before, you know, who has a big mix, and, you know, might be able to keep the ball in the park and seems like, you know, he can put up some innings. Like, I feel like maybe that's a good move for them. It's kind of funny because I, I thought Eduardo Rodriguez would get smashed in Cincinnati. He's got the same five-year home run rate as Jordan Montgomery. <laughs> They're so similar. And Rodriguez has more innings than Montgomery, too. Montgomery's going to get more money and probably a fifth year, if I had to guess. That's crazy. And and they and and uh, Rodriguez probably struck more people out in the last three years. Slightly higher K rate. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, recency bias is a thing, and it's very real. And it, and it, and you just heard me sort of succumb to it because they're really similar. Four pitch pitchers. I guess Eduardo has more of a better four seam than a sinker. I mean, they're really similar. Maybe, would you say uh, Jordan Montgomery's secondaries are better than Eduardo Rodriguez's? Yes, probably. I mean, there's more of them that you like. I think that's yeah. that for sure. So I, I, I get to see the case where they look similar for a year or two, and then Montgomery is better in years three, four, and five. Like, there's just there's a little more there at the end of the contract for Montgomery mm-hmm. than there is for Erod. Probably. That wouldn't really surprise me if it played out like that. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Ellie De La Cruz, the range on him in the last week, picked 19 to pick 28. So a firm second-round pick. Everyone loves him. In 15-team leagues. Even if they have a spot that he can call his own before we get to spring training, which seems possible. Are you going anywhere near Ellie at that price? I think so. Uh, they're both what? They're mid to late second round? Is any of them in the third round? No. All those picks, 19 to 28, that's all second round it's all second for a 15 team league. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. I, 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 I saw enough of a change in his uh, plate discipline over time. Uh, you can look at his uh, O swing and Z swing by game, um, and you can see that uh, he basically just swung a little bit less. So it's not uh, it's not super clear because what you'd really like to see is the Z swing stay the same. Or and Z swing, by the way, uh, for anybody listening that doesn't know what that is, it's uh, swinging at pitchers inside the strike zone. And O swing is uh, swinging pitches outside the strike zone. He basically swung less over the course of the season, and I like that because he's a little bit aggressive and he he pitch, he strings at too many stuff outside the zone. But I would have liked better if he'd stayed aggressive inside the zone. Uh, so yeah, there's there's some risk there, but uh, you know, I've been out on too many people like this. <laughs> the FOMO is too strong for me to to say I'm totally out, and. Uh, honestly, like, I don't think, you know, like, well, who are the players like this? Jazz Chisholm, um, you know, who are some high K uh, guys? Uh, you know, I guess you could almost say Bobby Witt in a second year, you know, where you're like. Yeah, yeah. Early worth... career Bobby Witt, I, I think, yeah. is fair. Um, It hasn't always worked out. But you, in this case, I don't think you have as much of an injury situation uh, where you have to be worried about injuries. And I think you do have like primo, primo speed and power. And I know he hits the ball into the ground, but he hits the ball so hard that when he hits the ball in the air, it's gone. And so I think, you know, Seamer projections, 246, 20 homers, 30 stolen bases. I think that's light on stolen bases. 31 stolen bases next year when he had 35 stolen bases and 427 plate appearances this last season. You know, like, I think this guy is going to go 240, 25, 50. You're not going to take that in the second 25, round? 50. That, that can work. That could still work in, in the second round. I mean, it's not the batting average you want, but. 
Hey, get Jung-Hoo Lee later. (laughs) (laughs) Combining two players with very different tools. Here's Here's a game for you. Better hard hit rate in his rookie season. Ellie De La Cruz or Bobby Witt Jr.? I mean, I'm just going to... I mean, I think because you asked it, it's Bobby Witt, but I think it's Ellie. It's Ellie. You are correct. (laughs) 45.9% to 38.6. Better strikeout rate in his rookie season. Witt or Ellie? Witt. Of course. Witt 21.4, Ellie 33.7. Better walk rate, Witt or Ellie? Yeah, Witt wasn't a great comparison, but... uh, No, it's okay. No, it is because the slash line... The problem with an early round player with a low average and potentially lower OBP, Where it scares you. In the lineup. It, it just scares you. It absolutely does. It's a fair, totally fair comparison because they both got the power and speed and the things we look for in first rounders. But they, you know, like, will a team continue to play them first in the lineup and let them do whatever they want to do if they have a three or 295 OBP, you know? But I think in the case of both of these, both of these teams are. Um, I was going to be really rude. Uh, both both these teams are in a place where they were they have they want to have these sort of jewel star. You know, this is our our star of the future. This is our guy. This is the guy that's going to take us over the mountaintop. They're not going to mess around with that. You know, Bobby Witt has a three hundred OPP. I don't care. He's he's our leadoff guy, or he's our, or he's a two hitter, whatever he is. You know, like he he's it whatever he wants to be. Yeah, is OBP jumped by 25 points from rookie year to year two. I think part of that improvement is just getting the reps. If you mess around with the playing time for a guy like that, how is he going to get better? Like, really? I I think when you you do what Witt did at AAA and when you do what Ellie did at AAA, I don't think there's a whole lot you can learn by going back down when you're this tooled up. And I think the other part of it is Ellie is a good enough defender where if he's still figuring it out at the plate, great he's the most exciting number seven hitter in the game for half the year you can live with that and he's still gonna steal a ton of bases he's still gonna hit some sick home runs even if the slash line looks a lot like it did in his rookie year if it's marginal improvement that could still lead to a line very similar to what you outlined so you're in in the, in the first two rounds essentially in la and you may get a dip there might be a slight slight drop in that price for a little while if the the uncertainty about how this depth chart is going to resolve itself persists. I think the most difficult decision for me will be, um, you know, I would love to take two uh, starting pitchers in the first five rounds somewhere. And uh, I think it will be difficult to be like, you know, it'll be about which types, like what the, what's the would you rather on starting pitchers where he is? Who's a, who's mm. a back end second round starting pitcher? So Ellie is... Oh man, this is. I like all these pitchers, of course. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I like second round pitchers. Who'd have thought? Yeah. He's there. He's next to Corbin Burns yeah. and Zach Wheeler yeah. for ADP right now. I would take both of those guys over Ellie yeah. at this point for 2024 only. Luis Castillo and Kevin Gossman are also in that round, in that range. This is why it pays if you are in high stakes leagues, or let's say you care about one league and you say, why, do, why would I play any other leagues except for the one league I really care about? is because you need to practice this. Like you, you need to kind of almost mock it. You need to mock draft it. Even if it's like for a different league, you're actually going to play out. You need to see what people, what kinds of decisions people are making. You need to know, like if I pass on Corbin Burns, what's going to come back around to me 
on the third? Or if I spend this much on Corbin Burns, what does that mean I can't spend on later if it's an auction? You know what I mean? Like you need to practice Mm -hmm. these decisions because, you know, right here I can tell you, yeah, I'd probably rather have Burns than Ellie. But what if I play these things out and I say, wow, there are so many good second round starting pitchers that in fact, you know, coming back around the horn, um, I'd be more excited about the starting pitcher I could get in the third than I would be about uh, the shortstop I can get in the third. Yeah, so if you're sitting kind of like a mid-position in the second round and you're looking at Ellie versus Burns versus Wheeler, and you choose Ellie, when it comes back to you in the middle of the round, you're probably looking at Kirby, Glasnow, Pablo Lopez, or Zach Gallen as your first pitcher. Somebody asked me for a top five recently, and I put Kirby in it. Yeah, the, the, the Kirby... Kirby, I mean, but that might be a lot of people might be like, ooh, Kirby, I'm going to get him in the third. And then you're like, oh, I waited for Kirby and I got glass now. But that's what I was getting at earlier with like the Mariners. Like they do so many things right in pitching development. They've got guys with great skills and it's a great park and the team's not bad. So all of these things. Is he really going to come around to you in the third? (laughs) Everyone, everyone seems to like Kirby. And I think most people seem to like at least the combo of of Kirby and Castillo, if not Logan Gilbert as well. And Mm -hmm. then the the price difference compared to Miller and Wu, like those are almost bargains the way they're they're going right now. So you you can get into that Seattle rotation with all these different price points and kind of feel good about it at every single spot. That's... That's what I was trying to get to earlier. But, like, but also, like, if, if you're playing this game, you're like, oh, I take Ellie now, and, I get, and I'm and i waiting, and oh, Kirby's there. That's great. Well, if it's Kirby and you're not as excited about the other guys, then maybe you should actually take Corbin Burns <laughs> because you don't want to do this thing where you're like, oh, Kirby will be there, and then you have to sweat out, like, 10 picks. You're like, please, please don't take Kirby. <laughs> that's the... That's the, that's the part of the game of chicken is like okay i waited here but then i are there enough fallback options if there's a run for me to be okay and if there is a run and i have to keep going hitter i take a closer and i have to wait and build that rotation later if i go down to logan webb you (laughs) know round four round five am i okay with some combination of logan webb and fromber or max freed or yamamoto like can i build a rotation around one of those guys and and maybe push a few starters up a little earlier like you got to go through the exercise to understand what you're really comfortable with but just in a vacuum it's interesting that you're actually in on ellie because of past missteps with players like that i i feel it with bobby witt jr i I was like no no i gotta see it i gotta see it and it happened and he was he was totally fine where he went i think the thing that i'm trying to learn is that like when you're talking about the elite the very very best prospects the very very best prospects actually don't fail that much not not often we have the like ben greaves yes i know those guys <laughs> exist that's a long time ago ben you Grieve. know yeah <laughs> how old is that, that the right ben name Grieve failed yeah no, that's that's it's the right yeah. name but but you know normally you know in, ter- in terms of like a top five prospect bat uh, like we're not talking about a lot of failures since Penn Grieve ripped off a stretch from 97 to 2004 where he was at least averaged by WRC plus every single year to start his career. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's not what was expected out of him. Expectations were higher overall. than that. And history has not been kind to, uh, to now ben he's, Grieve's and now career. we just kick his name around like I did. <laughs> now I'm like looking at him like, Hey, he was Actually, pretty good right. at not I chasing mean, 280, 28 homers, like for a couple he, years. He'd be more exciting in today's game than he was in that era. Because that was an era where everybody was hitting for more power than that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> All 
All right, we got about three minutes left. We're going to save some injury updates for the next episode. (laughs) You're just going to yell a bunch of names at me, and I'm like, I like that guy. I don't like that guy. I'm just going to yell stuff for the next three minutes. I'm going to limit you to three minutes. We'll have about two minutes and 45 seconds to wax poetic about Seth Lugo and or Michael Waka going to the Royals. Seth Lugo, two great, uh, two really great breaking balls. Uh, I think the fastballs are average. I don't know why anybody didn't give him this deal before. I think they should have, somebody else should have given, the, a better team should have given him this deal. Maybe this deal is so they can trade him later. Uh, maybe it's just so that they can't develop this guy. Uh, no matter what, to me, he's like a above average three, uh, below average two. That they Why is that not worth $15 million a year? Done. Uh, Michael Walker, uh, I don't know. Uh, sure. He's like, uh, I don't know, 100, 100, 100 innings, could be a four and a half ERA, could be a three and a half. Yeah, you really hit the gas pedal there. I, I'd like to extend my apologies <laughs> to anybody who listens to the show at one and a half times You're speed. Right. having to rewind that several times because <laughs> Ito just went double time on you and you weren't expecting that at all. Okay, well, I guess we can talk about Lugo for another minute because I thought you were going to use more of that time. Uh-huh. The price for him is kind of kind of cheap right now. Pick two sixty six. Oh, I like him in fantasy. I mean, it's Kansas City. Although this is the type of player I get a lot of, and then I lose in wins. He's like, <laughs> like, how many yeah. wins is he going to give you? Like eight. How high are we going to get on the Royals? How, like, how much bounce back are we going to bake into them for the season? Oh, don't don't get too excited about it. I mean, it's this still not a good team. It's still not very good. I'm not trying to be rude about it. I'm right, just trying right. to say, like, can they can they be like an 82 win team? Uh, right now, there are only one, two, three, four, five teams below them in projected war. Yeah, I look at this roster. Like, I like MJ Melendez as a a cheap outfielder. It kind of fits into our conversation earlier. Hey, where, where can you get an outfielder that should play a lot? If Melendez and Massey hit their like 75th percentile projections, that would be pretty huge for this team. And and they might they might get to like oh Nelson Velasquez and and if Cole Reagan's like keeps it up then i th- then i think they could keep it to like a they could get to like 81 wins i'm laughing because Cole Reagan's we should we should actually dedicate an entire episode to speculating wildly on pitchers who are nowhere near a rotation that could like be Cole top 100 Reagan's. picks next year yeah. <laughs> like did anyone on any podcast outside of a Rangers podcast discuss Cole Reagan's last December. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, that's a good podcast. I mean, I have my deep sleepers. Oh, let me see if I can I can pull it out real quick. Uh just because receipts are worth it. Deep sleepers, Eno Sarah's. These are I think these are pretty good. This is bonkers. There there are not even Dude, <laughs> I killed it on bats. Check this out. Kepler, Candelario, JD Davis, J.P. Crawford, Michael Massey, uh, Adam Frazier, uh, Nolan Jones, and Stone Garrett. Dude, I missed, I missed, I missed two out of like eight. Uh, On the pitchers, I didn't do as good, but this is, I mean, you're talking about these are 400 plus ADP. Uh, Braxton Garrett, uh, Ken Waldachuk, Mitch Keller, Tyler McGill, Kyle Gibson was okay, Matt Brash. Uh, you know, wasn't Brash a was starter. great out of the bullpen. It wasn't yeah. you know, great for fantasy, but it was he was very good as a reliever. Brian Abreu and Tyler Wells. So I think you know, uh, considering like what you're spending to get those guys, uh, I think I did okay. Yeah, 
right. I'll I will do something similar once I've done the research. You can't just spring this on me, dude. I just had an idea in the waning seconds of an episode, <laughs> and I'll give you more than two days to come up with it. We got half of a rundown already made for Wednesday, so I think we can safely say that's going to do it for this right, episode I'll of Rates one and name, Barrels. I'll have one deep name for you, early deep name before the new year. I'll come up with one. All right. So, yeah, I think our schedule is one more pod this week, off next week, and then Eno's on vacation the first week of January. So we'll have pods. I'm just not sure who's going to be in the other chair yet. I should probably get on that because these <laughs> next two weeks are going to fly. Uh, give us a follow on X. Eno is at Eno Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. Follow the pod at Rates and Barrels. If you get a question for a future episode, ratesandbarrels at gmail.com. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>